What's up, gamers? It's time to get that bread on a new episode of Foray into Foray. Brought to you by me, your boy, Port Dog. And, and as always, guy. slowly withering into oblivion endgame. Well, uh, you know, I think this season has already gotten off to a, I wouldn't even, I'd say a weird start, but we're kind of six episodes in, so I don't even know if it's a start anymore. Yeah, it's it's interesting, but it's let's something. let's get right into it. So we had uh, our yeah. two episodes last week, uh, Yada Yada Berries, Down by the River, episode five, uh, Ponyhead Show, and Surviving the Spider Bites, episode six, mm-hmm. and uh, as, as with the first four episodes, it's, they're really kind of tunneling in on the plot for the time being, and I don't know... You know, it's either it's either kind of like a intentional. I don't know. They wanted to do a bunch of plot, and the pacing is just kind of off while they hold off for a big moment. Or alternatively, I don't know. Their priorities just kind of shifted entirely. We'll we'll see what happens this coming week. But for right now, we got these yeah. four segments to talk about. So let's do that. Let's start with some Yay. yada start, yada. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think in general this episode was it was fun. It was kind of charming, honestly. Uh, you know. Eclipse almost gets turned to stone. Manfred does instead. There's a whole thing with monsters eating out of bowls because whatever. And then, you know, they try and track down her or try to poison her. And it was like a bunch bunch of the humans or the humans in general are mad. Um, Star tries to force and captures a bunch of them and tries to force one of them to become a class traitor. Uh, because I've I've specifically this week I was thinking about what, what's been happening, and I've realized this entire show is actually a coded metaphor for class warfare uh, between the uh, the bourgeoisie and and the royal family and uh, you know the, the proletariat. And I realized this because I was thinking it was like, man, we have this whole conflict between the humans and the monsters and they keep being pitted against each other due to the actions of the human royal family and I'm, I'm honestly starting to think that that isn't because there's an inherent difference between them i think the human royal family is purposely pitting those two sides against each other so that they can remain in power while the proletariat stays in squalor use that hashtag class warfare in the comments yes. yeah also, Marco's a class traitor, and his entire family is as well. That's, you know, that's, I can't really even argue that at this point. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was nice to kind of, you know, on one hand, like, I'm sort of split, right? So on one hand, it's nice to just see sort of the, you know, stereotypical, the, the very tried and true uh, Star and Marco run off, you know, Marco reigns are in and whatnot, just kind of the fun adventure episode. On you know, on one hand, I want to say that. On the other hand, you know, after everything that happened in season three, it feels like just going back to like the season two A days with no real change, and not even going back to two A because in two A they were like hugging all the time. So I don't know. Like it's we'll really see what happens this week, obviously. But you know, right right now the situation. This is probably the since I guess. Uh, yada yada was like the only real Star and Marco episode in the bunch. Uh, the situation feels like it's kind of going one of two ways. Either in one direction, you kind of have, for whatever reason, they decided that they wanted to spend a lot of the opening setting up plot stuff and not really worry about it. And we're, you know, uh, the show has pacing issues in general. Uh, you know, episode by episode, it it can screw up, kind of making a consistent 
pace feel good sometimes. Uh, season 2A felt really slow. Season 3 felt uh, not necessarily too fast, but it just kind of felt like there wasn't really any breaks in the tension between characters necessarily uh, for parts of it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so right now it feels like we're kind of going one of two ways. Either this is just a potentially a little bit of an exaggerated version of that you know they're just holding off a lot of the relationship stuff from season three just because they decided something else was more important for the time being and you know curse will still overall you know on the whole the whole season will still be fine or alternatively for whatever reason they just kind of decided it didn't matter as much for season four and you know things are just kind of drag out for the whole season um we'll see what happens coming up you know obviously i'm still reasonably hopeful that their priorities didn't totally change 100 percent uh going from seasons three to four and that Mm -hmm. you know curse will kind of catch us back up to speed and be a you know questionably paced but overall fine uh narrative being told but yeah it's i i like yada yada but it's disappointing that six episodes in the most we're getting is you know just a standard adventure episode every now and then um so the other thing i didn't want to say about this episode is uh and honestly the the the, the overall overarching thing from these in all four of these episodes actually is this whole kind of we're getting a really good impression not that we kind of already didn't have it but an even better impression of exactly how the human population feels about eclipses, the way eclipses running the country. Yeah, and we get uh, a lot you know. from the you know not not quite yet in yada yada berries, but we get a lot more about yeah. eclipses own side of things uh, coming up, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we we get yeah we we see how what she's doing is impacting the people. Well, we see how they feel about it in yada yada, and then in down by the river we get we kind of see how it's impacting people. I think we can all kind of agree it's not exactly a great impact either. Yeah, so let's let, let's let's just, you know, let's finish off yada yada real quick by saying, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, the one thing that's in, important to note in yada yada is yada yada is a good episode for Eclipse, right? Like if we're if we're getting sure. these different sides of Eclipse as a character, yada yada is the one that's showing off the good. She's actually truly trying in some way shape or form to treat the monsters equally. It's not prejudice against the humans per se you know she's trying to give the monsters a seat at the table quite literally mm-hmm. um the humans are being just genuine bigots about it and making them eat out of bowls you know I, you could say some of it's maybe ignorance it's not pure malice necessarily um mm-hmm. but you know we're, we're getting and you know she lets the people go because well, it's, cons- it's manufactured ignorance and misunderstanding Standings created by the bourgeoisie to oppress the proletariat. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we see at the very end that Eclipse, the, the humans don't trust her at the end still, but she lets them go because she says that, you know, imprisoning one, you know, basically flipping the script and just imprisoning humans uh, for, you know, resisting doesn't really do anything either. And that's, you know, she, she kind of talks a little bit, I think, about how mm-hmm. being a ruler requires not, you know, hopefully trying to get everyone to start to trust her so yeah it's not not about monster superiority it's about equality correct that's that's a nice side of things now we move into down by the river where we get a little bit of flavor for the other side right so 
Um, we can talk about that. So first off, Moon and River episode, fucking incredible. Amazing. Like, my, one of my biggest, you know, I, I don't want to say this is huge and that it ruined my experience of the show, but part of the, I think, issue with the show's pacing in general, and so I respect the fact that they kind of center it on Star to an extent and that we kind of see the world and characters as she does. However, the downside to that is that you spend the first, you know, handful of seasons with River just kind of being a partying dad that doesn't take anything seriously and is just an asshole. You know, a fun one, but an asshole. And Moon is an uptight mom that has no compassion in her body. You know, you get a little bit of compassion in Storm the Castle. Game of Flags is when she kind of actually starts becoming a character. And then in season three onward, it's like, oh, yeah, Moon is actually really developing and she's complex now. But it, this is like the first episode, I think, where there's actually really anything about Moon and River. Like, mm -hmm. as like a couple, other than like the flashbacks when they first met. And it was always weird because like you see them the first several times you interact. He seems so doting and she seems so distant. But then you see them in the past and it seems so earnest and it always felt weird. But then like you saw this episode and they both obviously care for each other a lot. And I feel like that wasn't properly expressed in the past. Yeah, you just never, like, even in season three, like, the couple, like, in Scent of a Hoodie were on the throne together. The handful of moments where they're actually interacting is, we don't get to see any of that. And part of that's sort of the point of view of the narrative. Uh, I guess I guess in, um, what's it called, Battle for Muni, you get a little bit of it, you know, on Riverside when Moon is gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the spell book, so if there's one thing that we've learned so far, it's that the Book of Spells really heavily, like, they, they kind of wrote that knowing what was coming in season four and being like, hey, let's nod to everything, because there's, like, a mm -hmm. whole letter where Moon gushes over how important River is in her life, and, you know, we're finally getting to see some of that, which is great. I love that. Um, yeah, so no, I, I, I agree. Beyond, so beyond the fun of that, there's also some plot stuff here. This is where we kind of see the other side of things, right? We see the fact mm -hmm. that there are, you know, genuinely human people being hurt, by Eclipse's rulings through no real fault of their own. You know, mm -hmm. they... Yeah, I they mean, obviously, the monster's homes being stolen in the past was bad, but it's not the fault of the people who live here hundreds of years later that that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like, they're being totally displaced now, and they're, they're actually... Yeah. Their lives are being overturned by some of these yeah, changes. Yeah. So, it's not like, hey, this thing used to belong to them, so we're giving it back to them. But we understand that you live there, so we're giving you reparations, and you're going to live in this other place until we can find, you know, we're going to give you this temporary housing until we give you a more permanent housing. We're going to build you a new home, etc. Like, that's not happening. It's just like, hey, uh, yeah, the queen said we're going to have our familial house back 30 years ago. Y'all can go fuck you. Yeah, it's, you know. Which is not great. Yeah, we're starting, we're starting to see, you know, Eclipse's intentions may be overall good, but there's holes in the program, you know? There's, mm -hmm. uh, there, there are issues that are being addressed in a manner that are hurting people and aren't being really the sort of truly, you know, equal and benefit, mutually beneficial way to go about things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is also nice because at least... 
you know, we don't see too much of it, but in the case of the particular handful of humans that we see in this episode, I don't remember their names. Um, but, you know, it, it sounds like they're not really prejudiced against the monsters as individuals so much. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there isn't, they're not blaming, you know, it's nice to see sort of a, a different angle yeah. of it, that it's not just pure bile being spewed against monster kind, you know, they're, they're sort of framing the humans in, in this situation anyway, in a sympathetic light. That what's happening, mm-hmm. it really isn't their fault. They're not bad people, uh, and the situation is genuinely negatively impacting them. So that's some nuance for the other side of things. It's it's not a yeah. totally one-sided, you know, humans are the oppressors end of story type of thing, which is nice. It's, it's good to see that. I, I would agree with that. And, you know, cl- and clearly uh, the fact that Queen Moon, who doesn't trust Eclipsa, is basically forming a human colony uh, of her own not far from the official castle. There's clearly not going to be a uh, civil war brought about as a result of that. No, Definitely that not. That totally won't lead to conflict inevitably. Nope. Not in any way, shape, or form. Um, anyway, so I think that's all there really is to say about that. Um, yeah, there, yep. I would agree with that. Although I do, one of my favorite lines from that was when she builds the fucking catapult and River's like, you haven't built one of those since our first date or something like that. Like, it's, there's just random non sequiturs. That's like, I... I also like that part where Moon was like, looked like she was about ready to murk a bitch. Yeah. It was pretty good. Like, I was like, holy shit, is Moon about to just fucking commit a murder? Alright. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that was, that was, you know, it, it's nice to see more sides of Moon as a individual and not just like a yeah. mother and a queen you know that's yeah well cool. i think now that when she's in that situation it was a really unique view because she's not the queen and star's not there so she doesn't have to be a mother she just gets to be moon and river's wife which is like the two things we never had to see her do before and now it's all that she can be yeah which is i mean you know she's obviously nice. she's she's kind of taking back the, she is a natural leader she's taking back the mantle of that sort of you know as a mm-hmm. motherly figure to the 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 helpless humans but uh mm-hmm. it's yeah you're right it's definitely nice to see sort of of her mm-hmm. own free will more than anything kind of when do you think um when do you think uh marco's gonna bring his good old-fashioned american capitalist democracy to uh to muni and overthrow the monarchy and, and install a uh you know a democratic government that's totally not controlled by an uh by a bunch of rich people uh, I mean, clearly that's you just spoiled the ending of the show. I don't really know what else to you're say right, there. You're right. That's why. That's why there's a bunch of Earth episodes after Coronation is they have to regroup and study up on uh, American economic policy in order to go implement it uh, forcefully. The bourgeoisie will perish. Exactly. The revolution starts at dawn. Eat the rich. Yeah. Anyway, so now moving on to Ponyhead's show, uh, this this one had a, a handful of things going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I this was this was another like it was a fun. Episode. Yeah, we had the, there there was fun. there was the song from Eclipsa, um, which for anyone that that hasn't seen, I think Brian Kim, the um, guy who does basically all of the music for the show, did actually put a clean copy of Eclipsa's song oh, shit, on I Tumblr. I, I, I think I posted it in one of our discords, but you can, you know, for anyone listening, you can go find it on Brian's Tumblr uh, or Twitter, probably. Um, so that'll, you know, that's that, that was a good song. Um, so, you know, overall, as far as the plot goes, you know, for, for the Ponyhead show, really, 
the plot side of it, I don't think it really progressed anything so much. Like, it just sort of rehashed the fact that no one trusts her and no one likes her. And toward the end, there was, mm -hmm. I think, like, the one person that liked it or something. It was a child. Yeah, so, like... You know, it's sort of that, that little inflection point of, like, maybe mm. things can get better in time. Mm. But, you know, like, overall, it's it happened. I, I just don't have much to talk about with it because it didn't change anything, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I guess we... I, so, technically speaking, this wasn't really as much of a Ponyhead episode as the name implied, and... I don't know, Pony. I was just kind of neutral on her. There, she didn't. She wasn't. Yeah. A, she wasn't really being like funny, but she also wasn't really annoying me. She, she just... wasn't nearly as annoying as she is in other episodes, which is partially because she was in charge of a situation and just kind of being her thing instead of like. Usually, the reason why I'm really annoyed by Ponyhead is because she's running around in the background of something important happening, causing issues, and being generally unhelpful and an asshole. But in this situation, she was at least, like, a little helpful and, like, was in her own element. Yeah, also we got a little bit more seahorse, which is always a yes. treasure. Yeah, um, and then, um... So the other side of things was the, the Kelly and Marco stuff, so we we can... We'll, we'll like, talk... the wrestling joke was funny, let's be fair. Yeah, that no, like... Was... Yeah, no, the whole, the whole, the whole situation, the wrestling joke was great. Like, it's, I, I don't have any complaints about what happened this episode, but the, the whole end result is we sort of get, like, some little vignettes of, you know, the, there's the wrestling joke, and then we just see, like, a little thing of them going backstage, and Kelly is just like, yeah, you said something that made me upset, but I just said screw it and dealt with it, so who cares? Let's just get back mm -hmm. to doing what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I... I'll, I'll sort of after we're done talking about the episodes, I'll, I'll I have a couple ideas. You know, I don't I don't know if it'll mean anything, but I have some thoughts in a general sense about kind of like if let, let's just hypothetically we say that overall the general progress of arcs, like you know, basically if you go back and look at season four as a whole after it's over, and assuming the progress is still decent you know things aren't actually totally dragging from season three for no reason or there isn't all kinds of randomly added new triangles and romantic tension that just drain the you know mm. fun that just drain the progress of the arc assuming that isn't the case and assuming in the whole it's something decent one thing i've noticed is that we keep kind of getting all of these hints like we had, uh, coming up in the next episode, we had Slime Bite, uh, we had Moon and River, uh, the whole thing with Kelly being like, oh, yes, I, you know, you hurt me, and then I just said screw it and moved on, you know, who cares? Like, there's, there's just all these hints, sort of, this dichotomies of, like, healthy relationships being shown on screen, and then characters just being like, yeah, I just pushed my problems aside and said screw it and moved on with life. So, even though there isn't any real progress being made with anything relationship-related, they just keep kind of hammering in these sort of like unex you know like the the slime bite thing was an unexpected moment right like star mm -hmm. thought there would be problems. we'll talk about it a little bit more later but star thought there would be problems with it and then there were just a happy couple there weren't and then moon and river got time to actually be a happy couple for a little bit and it just worked so i feel it's the way i'm kind of seeing it is we sort of see these juxtapositions of Mm -hmm. low-key functioning couples and then every time anything like any any time any two people in the show sort of try to actually like have a relationship you know anytime like star and tom and lake house fever or 
Marco and Kelly and Ponyhead, whenever characters that sort of have been pushed towards romance one way or another interact, it's, like, very obviously built on shitty foundations and force, whereas we also keep seeing, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, like, we've had significantly higher percentage of random low-key moments between couples in the past handful of episodes. Yeah, that's fair. Than we've had in the past. So, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe it doesn't go anywhere, but that's what I'm seeing. So anyway, um, you know, the whole thing, there's all these little vignettes, and then at the very end, Marco's upset about not making his tortas, and Kelly's just like, oh yeah, we, you should come over to my place and we can make them sometime. And he just goes, oh, okay, sure. Like, you know, it's... it's Kel- Kelly. This is a code for sex because she wants him to put his meat between her buns. I mean, that's that's a word for it, I guess. Here's the thing, is we don't really know what's going on under that hair. Like, if she takes her clothes off, it might just be more hair. Like, she might just be a being entirely made of hair. Maybe okay, her... That's, that's it, really insensitive to other lifestyles. Maybe, her, maybe, maybe what we see as her skin is actually just, like, knotted and, like, painted hair. You never know, like... I'm just saying, it's a possibility. Uh, anyway, that's fair. So you know, obviously, Marco responding was not uh, him flirting. He was he's oblivious. He's he's a dumbass, yes. and he was just like, "Hey, let's go." Obviously, we got Kelly's world coming up, so I think something something will come of it, um, one way yeah. or another. But there 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 will be something happening relevant to this. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about right. that more. It's in a almost bit. like they're going to be the main characters of an episode upcoming. Yeah, so now we got Surviving the Spider Bites as our last one, and this was my favorite of the bunch, I think, by far. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was alright. It was, it was a pretty good episode. I th- it was, it was my favorite because I think it actually, it really gave us uh, an actually deep dive into the lore more than the others did. Yeah, uh, it also like showed us something new. Like I don't want to say the other episodes didn't, but they didn't do as much new. The other episodes were they were just kind of like. Basically, a standard slice of life-ish episode was used to tell us something at the end, like, about what was happening. This one actually yeah. changed things. Yes, yes. Um, which was big. So, we have, uh, so there's a, you know, diplomatic gathering with the spider bites, and stars hosting them while Eclipse is fucking around trying to recover pieces of the spellbook uh, on the roof, and she forgets. So, you know, we're kind of, uh, I guess the same idea is, you know, we're getting, like, she does care about diplomacy to an extent, but it's, we're getting kind of a sense of her priorities a little bit, right? Like, yes. uh, it's, her head is not, you know, we're seeing a difference between her and Star, basically. She, she in fact, does not have her head in the game. Yeah. I mean, she says she's trying to get the spell book so she can actually learn selfless magic to be more like Star. I don't know, but we'll see. Um, anyway, uh, so we had... Star was trying to keep the spider bites at bay. We had the... There was, like, the whole dance number. Uh, and then as they... You know, as Eclipse finally catches up to them, they basically discover that Lobgore actually was a rampaging monster. And apparently... The thing that's interesting that was kind of new that we learned here was it sounds like Globgore was not crystallized until sometime after Eclipse it was, because it sounds like all the stuff he did with, uh, this, like, eating, he, he ate all of King Shastakan's ass, just all of it, the whole ass. He ate- Including the body as well. Yeah, but, like, he ate all of his ass. Uh, that's just- 
That's impressive. Usually I can only eat about half the ass. Yeah, it's it's really astounding, honestly. You know, big props to Globgor uh, on that one. And, but, yeah. you know, we, we get this sort of story about how he was kind of a rampaging um, person-eating monster. And I think the implication, I wasn't 100% clear enough, the implication is that this, considering he HS the can, that this, at least some of it happened after Eclipse was crystallized. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In, you know, in which case that tells us more of the story. And the fact that Eclipse... Or, alternatively, this is more falsified history. It could be, but at the same time, the, the sort of implication at the end is when Star confronts Eclipse about it, she's like, well, it's more complicated than that. She's not denying it. She, you know, That's fair. She, she's trying to justify the fact that it was a bad thing. Like, she's trying to, you know, she's skirting around the fact that it was a bad thing, but is not denying what was said. Um, That's fair. And... The important things to take away are, you know, there is, you know, there's a genuine step in diplomacy made, um, which only comes about from Eclipse very sadly, like, that was actually a genuinely uh, sad scene where her being like, ah, yeah, Globgor's uh, never coming out, he's trapped forever, uh, so there you mm -hmm. go, I, I hope you're happy that my heart's broken. Uh, and, bad, man. and, you know, I mean, they get, they get allies in the spider brace, which is nice, but mm -hmm. the other, you know, then at the end, we kind of have Star has a piece of the spell book, and Eclipsa and Glossaric have a way to rebuild it if they get it, but she's hiding it, because Star doesn't trust her motives. So, now it's like, sort of, we're, we're getting a, a taste of the actual conflict, like, it, it's not yes. just Star helping Eclipsa trying to be a good queen, like, there's, there's mm -hmm. some genuine conflict brewing uh, between the two of them. Yeah. I'm, I'm like slowly starting to change my tune on Eclipse actually. Um, so I I've been thinking, and part of this comes from me, kind of internalizing some of my like discussion of you know my obviously joking discussion of class warfare and bourgeoisie and yada yada. But I did kind of out of that joke realize something that I think I was under thinking about i guess about the show which is as much as eclipse is presented as a fairly um empathetic character if you actually think about what she's doing or like what she has done in the past she has distinctly put her own desires over what is best for the kingdom as a whole and if it weren't for basically Star talking her down once or twice during the season, she would be continuing to do that right now. Oh, absolutely. I, I think. Which absolutely. really changed how I viewed her character. Because I think it's really easy to get caught up in the way the show is portraying her. And I'm actually a little concerned that if they continue to portray her the way that they are, they aren't actually ever going to truly discuss the you know, actually legitimately interesting moral conflict that comes of that. And maybe you can say the sympathetic treatment is part of that, but what I'm really worried is that we're going to get to the end and it's going to be shown that her following her heart, possibly to the detriment of the kingdom, is the right thing to do and something you should be sympathetic for, when as a ruler, it really is. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, I think this was... 
I, I, again, this might be part of, I don't, I don't know if I want to call this a problem, but mm-hmm. season three portrayed her exclusively as a victim because she really had no agency. Like she popped right. out of the crystal and you know, there was all of this hype built up around her being a schemer that had plans, but none of it was yeah. meant for, you know, none of it was meant for season three because in season three, she was a person stripped of her family, stripped of her crown, stripped of everything. She had nothing, mm-hmm. and she was mm-hmm. just trying to put the pieces back together. So, yeah. you know, there, there were some moments that were like, ah, we don't trust her, she's kind of sketchy, but nothing she did in season three, yeah. beyond just, like, a couple little things about, you know, ah, the mind eraser, all of that, like, with, with those few exceptions, she really didn't do much of anything yeah. Besides, kind of you know, she, she was just kind of a victim. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't. It's because personally speaking, back during season three, when we were trying to figure out what her deal was, I was probably one of her. I was fairly on her side. Well, that's... If you remember, yeah. I was even more like I don't actually think she's evil than like some a lot of people were. But now I'm kind of thinking that she isn't evil so much as, like, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. Like, she's selfish, dangerous in a weird way. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And it's, like I said, I think it's just the issue is that they, because they, it's clear that they wanted to give off that vibe the whole time. Like, everything about... But I kind of feel like they're not portraying her that way anymore. But it's weird because now is the time where what she's doing is possibly actually questionable opposed to the past where she was generally right. It's well, here, I think that's weird. Like, here's the thing is, I really like where they're going with her now, especially like... Oh no, I, I definitely yeah, like... Yeah, like, especially after Spider-Bites. That's the big one. Because before yeah. that, you kind of get this, you know, yada yada. It's like you get this idea, you know, basically, what's the way I should put this? Is that before Spider-Bites... It seems like she's trying, she has problems, but there's no real clear indicator before Spider Bites that her heart isn't in the right place. Spider Bites is where mm-hmm. we kind of get like the true idea that it's, it's not just she really wants what's best, but she also wants her husband back, and she's just too used to being selfish to really deal with it. Like... Before Spider Bites, I could say that her character would literally just be learning to not be selfish, and she would eventually end up truly on the good guy side, like 100% a good guy. Spider Bites mm-hmm. was a time when we're actually seeing that of her own free will, there's moral conflict going on between her and Star's side that doesn't have anything to do with, oh, she just doesn't know the right way to do it. She's willingly making choices and justifying actions that really shouldn't be justified for her own personal worldview. And it's, it's setting up, you know, it's the first time we're really seeing her as someone that on her own accord is truly doing something morally gray. Like, yeah. up to this point, we just kind of, everyone else was like, oh, she's evil. And she's like, no, I'm not. I just use dark magic and I want my daughter back. And everyone's like, uh, well, you're probably still evil. And that's as far as season three ever got. So the audience kind of sits there going like, everyone keeps telling me she's sketchy and she's a little bit sketchy, but like, she's, she hasn't and, done anything yet. Like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the but audience... Doing stuff in the shows presenting her a lot more sympathetically, which is interesting. 
yeah, now that we're actually yeah, getting to see really her do things, we're that. seeing more of, yeah, we're seeing more of her own agency mm -hmm. and free will. So you get, you actually get her being able to do things, which means you get to see both a true sympathetic side. It's not just she's a victim and she wants the daughter back at the end. It's we're seeing her doing things of her own free will that have some genuine heart and soul in them and yes. some level of wanting what's best so that's a mm -hmm. huge measure of sympathy and at the same time we're now starting to see her of her own free will and agency actually doing some questionable things and that's making it a complex situation which is great i right. love that and i'm interested to see which direction she goes. Exactly, and it's really interesting because we have a very far-flung synopsis. Um, coronation, the mid-season finale, is Star plans a coronation for Eclipsa, which is weird because she's currently queen. Um, uh, you know, obviously the synopsis barely tells us anything, and it, it, you know, it very well could be that in the coming handful of episodes, there's, act, you know, the, the Mumin people you know slowly come to accept her maybe there's some sort of you know uh, we want to make it official you know like or something happens that kind of accelerates the issue into her being more like you know something bad happens and she steps up in a big way and saves a bunch of people or whatever yeah or you know I, it'll be interesting we'll see you know yeah, we yeah. still have a lot of time um so now coming up let's talk uh, i mean we've only this has been a short episode so far but uh, yeah. there's not too much specifics to say about the upcoming episodes so in yeah. general where we're at now uh, you know obviously uh, the, the the general just the thing that's concerning me is that curse has a lot to do to keep the overall pacing of the teenage personal relationship not just romance but just the general relationship development arcs still feeling good i think overall right mm -hmm. um because i would agree because coming out of season three we just had a huge atmosphere you know I'm, you know, I, I was one of the ones going into Lake House Fever saying there was no way that would be in character whatsoever that they could, you know, not, that they could keep it going. And they didn't, you know, I'm I'm perfectly willing to step back and say I, I had a too narrow view on the situation and that this arc of Star deflecting problems, it fits. So I, I won't deny the fact that it's uh, still fitting. And there was progress made, right? Tom is, mm -hmm. Tom was less insecure, right? Like he was, uh, I would say he was still kind of, the, the biggest takeaway from Lake House is that they were both kind of being more cowards than anything, right? Like, the, the best way I'm kind of saying it is that in season two, we kind of got all, like, the, the general arcs, as I see them for the show, is that season one, I can't really say season one had, like, a true blue front-to-back arc. It was a lot of just slice-of-life establishment episodes. But Storm the Castle was a turning point of star just kind of recognizing that hey the world is serious sometimes and that mm -hmm. uh you know she kind of needs to care about other people and uh, you know care basically right it, she can't just be a fun loving teenage girl forever and ignore uh, she can't you know it's not so much that she can't ignore problems as she can't you know she has to actually recognize the fact that the real world exists mm -hmm. um and then season two was okay the real world exists 
But if I don't think about it, I can just keep being a normal, happy teen girl going to school with friends and not worrying about my feelings and all of that stuff. And then the end of season two is the turning point of, okay, I can no longer pretend that there is no problem. And then season mm-hmm. three was, okay, well, I, you know, I see the problem, you know, I, let's, I, I likened it to a wound. And I said, you know, if season one was recognize, you know, actually um, recognizing the fact that, hey, I, I actually have a wound, okay, fine. Then season two is just saying, ah, it's not a big deal, it's only a scratch, don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Then season three was, okay, it's kind of an issue, let's slap some band-aids on it, and there we go, that'll fix it. Uh, and now it kind of seems like season four is, the you know, under the band-aid, it's kind of festering, and maybe the band-aid, you know, in different, you know, for not every arc is running in perfect lockstep. The relationship arc is still sort of deeper into denial than the other ones, but we're still kind of getting the band-aid is beginning to fall off, and then... She's, you know, or you can kind of visibly see under the band-aid that it's a festering problem that isn't getting better. And there is, she's not ignoring the fact that it exists and she's not pretending truly that everything is fine. It's literally just plugging your fingers in your ears and going, nah, 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 I can't hear you. And just standing still, staring at the problem and just, not doing anything about it, basically. Which, you know, it's... I think it's pretty clear that this is a farther form... You know, to me, it still feels like a, a forward step in her maturity and development overall. It's still her not being mature, but it's a step closer, I think. You know, conceptually, anyway. Um... Uh, anyway, so what we're kind of looking at right now is, be, you know, the Lake House Fever brought up the kiss and Star got angry at Tom for being angry about it. Or, and, you know, technically speaking, I mean, he talked to his mom and spilled every, you know, I understand why Star's gut reaction is being incredulous at the situation, but Tom's also right. She's not the one that, you know as a whole should be getting mad and she should have talked to him about it. And she still didn't. Yeah, and no, I, I agree. She, she didn't, you know, when, when he said it meant nothing, right. And she doesn't respond. Mm-hmm. And when that's what we call a manka giga. Yeah. So we're getting all this stuff and then, you know, nothing, nothing more has happened since then. And she's just kind of, you know, four episodes. One was with Marco, but it was standard. And then the others were more or less her by herself doing plot stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. so they didn't touch it. Uh, and then in Ponyhead show, we sort of had, you know, Kelly just talking to Marco a little bit, and we haven't had Marco's take on the situation yet either, because he's, you know, the the, the point of season three in general is sort of learning to reconcile the fact that he has feelings with her with the fact that he genuinely wants to be your best friend and stand by her and support her. So I don't really see him, like, truly running away ever, but... I feel like, to me, in my mind, where things should go right now, and if they wanted to really use, you know, personally, I'll just say for the record, in general, I'm not happy with the way things are going. And even if Curse does everything that I could possibly hope it could do, I still wouldn't 
this still wouldn't be my favorite way of going about this overall. But given where we're at now, given what happened, I will step back and think about how could it go from here. Um, mm-hmm. And to me, what verse absolutely 100% no holds barred need to do, and I, I won't, I'll try my best not to affix this to any particular detail. I, I won't affix it to Tom and Star 100% need to break up, or Star and Marco 100% need to talk. I, I can't say that. What I will say is that in a general sense of progress, in order to actually make season 4 feel like it's going somewhere as a whole with the relationship arc, and it's not just dragging out romance drama for the sake of romance drama and throwing character development under the bus for it is we're in a situation right now where there's this glaring issue that the characters are too cowardly to confront basically in the case of star and tom uh and marco is part of that too to an extent it's not really his place to confront star right now about it or anything necessarily but it's you know he's he confessed, and they had a moment, and Star's pretending like nothing changed. So, I could see where it might hurt him, too. And what Curse needs to do, the only next step is for everyone to actually be slapped in the face with the problem. And to to recognize fully, 100%, no, you know, no, oh, you know, emotional development that will be grounds for us to think about it later. Because that's what season three was, right? That like that's Booth Buddies and Divide and Conquer were that for Star. They were feelings that were brought forth in her that she's been just deflecting the consequences of the situation and the feelings and the action since then. But we already had the moments that were the emotions that should lead to change. So yes. The only next step that has any real meaning to it is for them to actually, for the Band-Aid to be ripped off fully, and for them to stare down the fact that the feelings are there, the the kiss with Marco meant something that, you know, that Tom needs to man up and recognize, you know, Tom needs to confront the Mm -hmm. fact that it did mean something and that Star does not love him, and Star needs to confront the fact that she isn't just... You know, the kiss meant something for her, and that being with Tom isn't actually what she wants. And, you know, how, personally, if it were me, how I think Kelly's world should be used is not Kelco. He tries to ooh woo the fuck out of Marco, and he says, Be gone, you furry thought. Well, one way or another, it's there's a couple ways it could go and i'm i'm not going to you know personally i'm just i kind of hate the idea you know the whole calco thing to me is it really is if it actually goes in a you know kelly is genuinely going to crush on marco uh route it, it's yikes it, it really just you know it starts to feel like things are actually heading towards this there you know people fall in, you know just teens hormonally falling in love with each other because that's what teens do rather than it really kind of having a you know more a deeper purpose in any way yeah. I, also I, I hate that fucking cliche because that's not what being a teenager is like yeah time. so anyway how you know it, it could go kelly genuinely crushing on marco and marco thinking about it it I, you know, it could even go as far as Marco being like, you know, 
maybe this is something I should be thinking about. You know, maybe I should, uh, what's like, uh, talking about Kelco makes, uh, the <laughs> fucking fire department <laughs> come to, uh, you know, destroy my, uh, apartment. Anyway, um. I, I, I do think the best option is if Marco, is if she comes on to Marco and he just literally says, be gone, you hurry thought. And just yeets her out of the room or whatever. Uh, out of the library. Yeah, yeah. so it's... I so, mean, that being said, that episode does sound like it might be really fun. Yeah, no, it sounds like it'll be fun. He, so here, here's, I really hope it gets to just be a fun episode, and is it... Totally bogged. Yeah, I, no, I think it will be. And there's, like, the fighting with all the random Korean shit going yeah, on. it looks fun. I just hope it isn't a 10 pounds of spaghetti. So here, here, here's what I think. So we have in Curse of the Blood Moon, the synopsis of Star Marker going on a mission to break the curse. And I can't deny that there could be some plot-related element to that. But mm. hopefully, fingers crossed, I feel like the episode is probably going to tie mostly into relationship stuff. So it, it sounds to me, what, what I would, what, you know, what I, what I think it might be going for is... Sort of a, a sort of farther take on Booth Buddies, right? In Booth Buddies, Marco was hiding his problem, and Star didn't know there was a problem. And, you know, they, they the problem came to light, but they weren't ready to actually go anywhere with it, right? So what mm -hmm. I would like to see out of Booth Buddies is both of them kind of being at, like, the, the last resort, like, the, the desperation point of... The, the final denial of, like, you know, one way or another, both of them are of the mindset that... They're, they're, you know, the, the wound is festering under the band-aid, and it's literally beginning to leak pus everywhere. So they're just like, we've got to try something. And the way that I see that going is, you know, it's, I, I don't, you know, it's a 22-minute episode, and I think it will be self-contained in that, the, you know, some portion of the first 22 minutes could be its own setup for itself. You know, like mm -hmm. some interaction with Star, Tom, and Marco, some combination of them that is used to set up the actual Blood Moon stuff as a whole. Um, but I, I think yeah. what might likely happen is either Kelly talks to Marco and Marco is like, well, I have feelings for Star and I can't reciprocate, but, you know, this experience has sort of made me think about, you know, basically having, you know, having my feelings for Star, having to think about them and talk about them has mm -hmm. made me realize that I'm unhappy with the current situation. Or alternatively, he could think maybe moving on is best and that I want to find a way to do that. Uh, the end result is I think it's best for Curse if both Star and Marco go into the situation saying this is a problem and we need to find a way to solve the issue of our feelings between us. And, you know, it's sort of with Booth Buddies, it's, you know, we see this a lot, where you kind of have characters that enter a situation going, this is a problem we need to fix. Uh, there's something wrong. And that they're kind of taught a lesson that the way they thought they should fix it wasn't the way that it actually needed fixed. And they actually learned something from it. So Booth Buddies was the emotional high point of they were trying to take a best friend photo, and the kiss was the direct tower to the audience, but, uh, it wasn't quite the slap in the face that a lot of people thought it would be to the characters, but it still kind of showed this idea that best friendship, you know, they wanted to take a best friend photo, and what actually happened, the, the actual solution to their problem was a moment of romance. Um, it will. So, 
I, you know, I'm looking at it as a similar situation where if we enter curse with both of the characters saying this is, a, you know, our feelings for each other, or, you know, it, it's the Blood Moon basically being their sort of scapegoat as if we didn't have this pesky, complex, deep emotion in our relationship beyond just being friends, there wouldn't be any problems. So let's solve the root of the problems with our relationship. And then they can do just that. They can solve the root of the problems with their relationship. Obviously, it won't actually be by getting rid of the romance. It will be just the opposite. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, and as far you know, I, I'm trying... For endgame, what if they subvert the trope by not romance? Well, then I will subvert uh, my lungs' ability to take an oxygen. Uh... <laughs> With a rope. Oh no. <laughs> oh, no. Don't worry. I don't think I have any ceilings high enough in this place. Hold up. <laughs> uh, don't do that. Then it's my fault. Uh. Anyway. Jo Hi, jokes. Everyone. This is your daily reminder that his mistake is actually mine for showing him this show. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um. So and we and also we haven't talked yet about out of business right that's an episode with Star Marco and Jana that also has potential to uh, push Star in a direct you know some have some please some type of emotionally meaningful interaction between Star and Marco that we literally haven't had yet this season you know Beach Day no, Beach Day yeah. it was like a an emotional moment between them but it really had nothing to do with their relationship, it was just kind of an emotional moment utilizing Star and Marco, which that's the only one we've really had this season so far. And there haven't been Unfortunate. Any, and there haven't been any related to changing their relationship. So out of business is also potentially a way to have something nudge in the direction of, you know, showing basically another step towards the problem hitting its breaking point. Um, mm -hmm. For both of them, maybe. And you know, as for what I want to see out of Curse, um, th this is just one minor point I want to make. Not my, actually major. This is probably the most major point I want to make. Um, as a whole, again, I can't tie this to anything specific. I can't say Tom Star has to break up in Curse. I can't say Star and Marco have to just start fucking on the floor immediately at the end of Curse. Ew, well. The thing that I... I'm 100% adamant that the show needs to do to satisfy its own narrative. And th this is, you know, part, part of this is just kind of what I want to see out of narratives in general. Uh, and part of this is, I, th I think it is genuinely critical that the show takes, it takes its time and does this, right? Is that, uh, you know... Uh, going into the season, I was like, ah, oh, the whole, all of, you know, most of season four will be spent on romantic Starko. It will, it'll, you know, to, to, to counterbalance Starko and Tom Star. And part of, you know, mm -hmm. that was, that, I, I still, I, I still stand, I would have wanted to see that. But I will admit that a eye for an eye, you know, episode for episode counter uh, of canon Starko versus canon Tom Star, it's not necessary. What is necessary, however, is. Cannon start. That, that, but again, I don't, I don't like. Every time I put my foot down on a very, very particular detail of a specific event happening in a specific moment, that's when I get proven wrong. Um, but in a general sense, what 
different what what needs to happen to actually pay off the romance development of the show being based on the characters and not just you know serial drama soap opera drama is the critical mistake the show could make is for Star and Marco's Star Star and Marco as a romantic couple to just be the only option at the end. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in the sense of if you know it basically if things keep happening where, you know, Star and Tom, you know, they're they're trying to make it work, but Star has these feelings for Marco, so it doesn't work and it crumbles, and then Marco maybe wants to try to move on or something with Kelly, who knows, and then that crumbles because Marco can't give up his feelings for Star, and then they finally get together at the end because these feelings are just too strong, and then there you go, they kiss the end. But the problem there is that the actual concept of Star and Marco having romantic feelings for each other isn't a good thing in that situation. All it is, all it would do is cause themselves and others pain until they finally say, okay, I guess we have to kiss, or else, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not saying it wouldn't be a happy moment, at, you know, near the end of the show when it happened, but on a sort of narrative sense, it would be these feelings destroy everything in their path until they finally give in, and happy ending, I guess. And there really isn't, you know, a, a lot of the problem, like, anti-Starko people say that Starko is just a wrecking ball that kills other perfectly good ships. And obviously there are tons of reasons why... Disagree. No, obviously as of this point, there are tons... You know, I'm not denying that Star and Marco have a lot of the elements that are necessary for a strong romantic relationship. You know, the deep emotional bond, their commitment to each other, their desire to help and support each other above all is necessary for a long-term healthy romantic relationship. However, I wouldn't say that that alone is sufficient, right? Like, if, mm-hmm. if, if, if Tom Star, by, if by the end of the show, Tom and Star's relationship has been portrayed as this affectionate, you know, surface-level, lovey-dovey, romantic relationship with nothing really underneath, and that's why it falls apart, and Starko has been portrayed as a deep emotional bond between two people who can't seem to let go of each other, and then they kiss at the end and that's it, in my in my mind, both are unproven, incomplete relationships at that point. Mm-hmm. Neither has actually been shown to be the best option. I mean, I, you know, I would still say that, like, personally, I would just, in a conceptual sense, Tom Star directly lacked a necessary element, whereas Starko contained necessary elements, but, you know, I would still posit that Starko would still be significantly stronger, but it wouldn't be proven as, yeah, this is actually a good thing, as opposed to the absence of bad things. And in a general sense, just this idea, you know, if you want to show that a relationship is good and is the best on its own merit, you need to see the two characters actually gaining happiness and gaining, you know, showing that the feelings can be a source of joy and positive, mature, forward development for them, and not just... No, 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 no. you don't care. This is a TV show. No one can be happy. 
I mean, that's, I, I, you know, I, obviously I'm still hopeful that things kind of go in an okay way overall, but that's, it's a genuine concern at this point that they're diving a little bit deeper into denial and, you know, rather, I mean, obviously, okay, fine, there's, you know, these, the characters are not totally, you know, rational, mature individuals, fine, I, I, I can appreciate that to some degree, um, however, it's, as a general rule, if, if, all the relationship has done is cause pain until the very end when the characters finally give in and say, eh, okay, if we just accept it, maybe it'll stop hurting everyone. That's that's yeah. not really a good basis uh, to say, yup, yeah. this is the best rela- this is the most rock-solid, long-term, healthy relationship ever. You know, you can sort of skirt around it and still make a good case for Starko if that happens, obviously, but... It would sort of require a little bit of assumptions and hand-waving, and that's... I think that would be a really, really weak way to go about it. And to me, Curse is the turning point where I can't say 100% what needs to happen, but in order for the overall progression of the show and for the payoff of Season 3 to feel... even Even... neutrally neutral or satisfying i i think curse needs to be the turning point where the situation stops hurting them and they Mm -hmm. finally begin to start making headway towards accepting things and finding positivity and joy and happiness in the situation rather than negativity by deflecting it and i you know Mm -hmm. obviously Maybe that requires the the official Tom and Star breakup and acceptance of the situation, you know, the, the direct conversation happening an episode or two later. Fine, maybe. Um, you know, maybe that requires. Yeah, I, I can't say, but in my, uh, you know, I have my ideal situation. This is, you know, my my personal ideal is for Curse to have Tom and Star break up earlier on in the episode for for you know something from out of business to carry over and for for them to really just confront the fact that it's not going to work and then you know it's sort of it's it's i don't want to call it a bad breakup but it's it wouldn't be like the the jarko breakup where tom sits down with star and they come to a clear conclusion about how they're feeling like what I would say is they the sort of the situation finally comes to a head and they're just like, all right, this this can't work. Clearly more is going on. And then Star being her stubborn self is gonna say, you know, shit, this entire okay, like, fuck it. I need to prove to myself once and for all, like, you know, even this this will be the breakup is kind of confirmed. I don't wanna say she's gonna be in denial. That, like, ah, no, I truly love Tom, and the Blood Moon is forcing me to love Marco instead. I I wouldn't say it would go that way, but I could definitely see it going something like, breakup happens, and in her stubborn, hot-headed fury, she's like, well, you know, Tom, it's not working between us, because I don't have, you know, I'm feeling these things. Screw you, Star Butterfly feels things when she wants to. We gotta break the curse. I'll prove to you that, you know, I'll prove to you or myself that, uh... I'm in control of my feelings or something like that. I don't know. And the, at the same time, you kind of have Marco coming out of, you know, out of business going, this situation is something that I need to get a handle on. And I, you know, I, I want to try to find a solution. And if this might, if the blood moon might be a cause of it, then maybe we can fix it. And 
then what would basically happen is, you know, the Thomas Fire would break up and you would sort of get the, the pushes towards final realization that the situation isn't helping anyone. And then throughout the process of trying to break the Blood Moon's curse is they basically realize you know, maybe they do actually break the Blood Moon bond. And then the final realization sinks in that these feelings for each other are there. They can't ignore them anymore. They won't ignore them and it won't continue. It, it won't be a source of pain and suffering for people. I, I, I don't know how far they would take it as far as a romantic moment might go. Uh, I'm not saying they need to immediately fuck on the floor um and at this point given how far things have gone into the denial and hurt and situation i definitely think it you know unfortunately to an extent will will probably take some time from here to actually have them really be totally secure and confident that a romantic relationship is what they want but the key thing here is the turning point away from their feelings for each other being a source of hurt for them and others. So in my ideal world is you kind of get Tom Star breaks up, Star and Marco get confronted with their feelings and no longer deny them. And how far they take it, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had moments in the past where like divide and conquer where you know, you, you sort of get like a, a glimpse into the future where like in the heat of the moment something big happens and then they step back and let things progress naturally, you know, basically, once the heat is off, then things settle into a bit of a calmer atmosphere, progressing back towards where they were. Um, mm -hmm. So what I, what I would hope is that we sort of get, you know, after this, it's they have the feelings, they're not denying them, they're, and then we kind of get some time of moments like Season 2A, but more meaningful where you know th there's episodes with both of them their interactions are more affectionate than they've ever been and they're sort of basically they're sort of feeling the love and letting it actually bring them joy and happiness so that when they make the decision mm -hmm. to actually get together it will be because they know how happy it makes them rather than because fuck it if we kiss and fuck on the floor maybe we'll stop being hurt anymore um and, you know and we have we have scenes like the cereal you know eating cereal uh, in the monster temple and the pancakes on the couch and those kind mm -hmm. of feel like ones that might fit that type of situation um in my ideal world this resolves before like before the mid-season finale and that then 4b is you know kind of where i don't know why they're on earth but then the fact that they're on earth is sort of the they figured their shit out just like in Coronation Stars made the decision, you know, seemingly has made a sort of final decision on what to do about the crown. Um, yeah. Similarly, something like that has happened with Marco, and then it's sort of aftermath and looking towards the future. It's yeah. also entirely possible. I would kind of be disappointed if it took until, like, Beach Day for them to actually sort of resolve it. Um, but it's possible, I don't know. And that we still get kind of a handful of episodes of transitioning from canon starko to ready to be king someday you know ready to be king and queen someday starko I, I don't know but either way i you know long long-winded but i think that was really important for me to get out there and i'll, I'll just the, my last is you know in summary is that i can't say exactly what will happen but in order for anything about season three's progression and 
season four is progression and the rest of season four is progression to feel meaningful is i think curse needs to 100 percent be the turning point from feelings for each other are being deflected and this deflection is causing hurt and cowardice and suffering for everyone involved to these feelings are here we can't pretend they aren't anymore we can't just keep going with the current situation as normal and we have to move forward with this knowledge in our brains and see what happens and uh, again if if tom and star don't get a chance to break up until afterwards i have a lot of reservations for how the breakup could be meaningful after stars already turned this corner but uh you know details is something i, I think i think that'll be something to discuss when it actually happens. yeah so i'll just say you know that's we'll, we'll see but um and as someone as someone not really sort of you know I, i've tried as best i could to really isolate entirely my desire to see star and marco being romantic for the sake of itself, which is there. It's it's absolutely there. But I'm I'm trying my best to isolate that and just say what actually would make an endgame situation feel like it's been earned. And, an endgame situation? Yeah, exactly. And what would actually make the developments of season three and especially the way season four has gone so far feel like there's still a purpose for the characters. And to me, I, you know, I, I, I personally, you know, I, I'm willing to watch Curse and hear it out and see what it has to say, but in a general emotional sense, I can't imagine a way that Curse would do anything less than being this fully ripping the bandaid off that would feel satisfying in any way, shape, or form. If Curse did any, mm-hmm. if Curse did anything less than that, if Curse did, you know, either either Curse goes totally off the wall and makes an act, like it makes a change in a different direction, you know, the the Blood Moon actually, you know, I mean, there there have been some wacko theories about time travel, like they actually rewrite the past and have to catch back up, like that would just be dumb. Or what about a wacko theory where their romantic connection actually is because of the Blood Moon? And uh, then Kelco and Tom Star are the end game ships for the show. Yeah, that. Yeah, uh, you know, th- there's, there's How would that like, make you feel. I, I, I wouldn't. I'd be dead, so I wouldn't feel any. <laughs> I wouldn't feel anything anymore, my friend. That would be some yeah. shit. Let's, like, let's, like it's that. Like I said, it's I'm. If I'm, that happens, the podcast is over. Yeah, I'm. 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 Let. Like I said, it's to me. I'm far less worried about anything truly wacko happening as i am for my, my biggest concern like in, in terms of what i realistically think curse could fuck up it's for curse to be yet another like win, you know ah oh, we had a moment i wonder how this will go in the future wink wink tune in for the rest of season 4a to find out what might eventually happen like if curse you know divide and conquer was huge emotional moments but you know as much as i thought based on themes of booth buddies you know the theme being it's different this time we're we're not um you know ignoring the situation you know as much as i thought and hoped that booth buddies was an indicator that they would be 
more open and honest and ready to confront the situation immediately after Divide and Conquer. I respect, you know, the show's development is highly compartmentalized, you know, mm-hmm. ro- yeah. actually recognizing that romantic feelings exist only usually happens in a situation characterized by romance in some way, shape, or form. And characters mm-hmm. don't think about strong emotions that they had and then realize th- that they actually feel romance if it's just kind of general thinking, you know, Marco didn't reflect on Battle for Muni and realize that he had romantic feelings for Star based on that. It, he had to be slapped in the face with romance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, fine. Fair enough. But, you know, if, if, to me it's, you know, if Curse just delivered another moment of, like, you know, a strong hint to the audience that these feelings are there and that Ah, uh, maybe they'll begin to start thinking about them and start thinking about stuff later. I, 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 just, I think that doesn't work. I just think it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That that's the point where I would start genuinely questioning if at some point they decided to prioritize romance drama for the sake of itself over meaning, you know, character first development and. As much as, you know, in hindsight, I-, I will say my view of the show, to some extent, has already been changed by what's happened. You know, it's, I, at one point, my take on season three was that the tension between characters, the the lack of Star Marco interactions was, was truly intentional for, you know, to enact a clear change that they were saying, hey, we're going to sort of purposely change things up specifically for the purpose of fixing it right after. Um, and that Booth yeah. and Divide and Conquer were sort of the, the harbingers of that change. But my view has already been adjusted that clearly, you know, obviously, you know, the, the tension in Booth Buddies, it was explicitly resolved, you know, that the, the tension between them and their avoiding each other is no longer there. But clearly in a meta-narrative sense is they we're more or less okay with season three as a front-to-back product. Um, and mm. the, the focuses of episode-by-episode episode interactions in season three were something they thought, you know, it, it held up on its own merit rather than just being four-dimensional chess to make Starko stronger later. Um, and I, I don't know how much I agree with that, but that seems to be where they're coming from. And for purposes yeah. of prediction, there's no real point trying to insert my own take on it just because yeah yeah if you want to think about what might happen what is likely to happen next then you want to be considering how the writers are likely to see it um so yeah that's you know even still even given that though it's it it was still character first right like sure maybe they were okay with the show just genuinely transitioning away from star and marco being the bedrock you know episode in episode out to being a major part of the development, but not the required episodic, you know, vehicle. Um, and, you know, I, I have my own issues with that personally, but that's just the type of show that I would like to see most rather than the show that's being written. So, yeah, to me, it's... Curse, it has a lot on its shoulders, and that's... You know, Booth Buddies had a lot on the shoulders, too, and it, it came through in a big way. So, and that was 11 minutes, and this is 22. So, uh, you know, there's there's no real concrete reason to, to not 
think that the basics that need to happen will still happen, but mm-hmm. you know well, we're, we're gonna find out. We're, we're less than two months away from the end of the show, and you're yeah. still. I, I think I saw a comment on Tumblr that summed it up best, which was, um, well, let me let me find the quote. It'll be just more instructive if I read the quote off for everyone. Um, uh, here it was. Is I I just want to watch the show in peace and see our two dorks actually being happy together. I can't enjoy the show anymore if I have to wake up Sunday mornings with cramps and worries how they're gonna fuck up Starko this time. It's enough dragging, Darren. And you know, to to some extent, there's I guess a little bit of hyperbole there. I mean, it's I understand that it won't just be a matter of oh, like after curse they'll just be happy together and you never have to worry about them ever again. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I agree with the general concept that. We're, you know, like I said, it's the development forward rather than development of making the audience, you know, basically actually showing things moving forward rather than saying, ah, will things move forward next time? Tune in and find out. Like, it's that whole idea where there's a promise that something's going to happen. But each episode just keeps promising that things are going to happen. Yes, and it's like at some point, like I said, it's, you know, I, at this point, I mean, I, I would rather see a road where Curse turns things around and the the remaining 60-something percent of the season will be the journey of Star and Marco finding happiness in their relationship with them not even officially getting together until right at the very end. I would rather see that than a situation where this hurt and suffering continues until they finally get together in Coronation or Beach Day or something, and then we get like four episodes of them being fully canon. At this point, I I think it's more important to show them actually, you know, to, to resolve the... Will mm-hmm. their relationship stop hurting them? More so than will they officially, you know, kiss and become a romantic couple? It's yes, and that's you know, I if season you know if season four isn't like more than half them actually taking the time to you know to to experience why Starko is best rather than experience everything else failing compared to their feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. It's that it it really would just ruin the entire that entire part of the narrative for me anyway. And yeah. for me personally, that's that's you know everything else. I'm more than happy to discuss it, and I'm interested in it. But to me personally, as as a viewer that wants to see what I want to see out of the show, that is what drives me to watch it. So if the plot is going along in some way that I enjoy. But the relationship stuff is still, will they actually resolve the tension? Will they actually address the problem and start to find happiness in each other? Start the journey of, you know, actually developing Mm -hmm. forward as a pair rather than just developing towards the point of accepting that they are a pair. Um, I I don't know if I'd even really be able to enjoy watching it anymore if, if it's just going to keep going like that. So anyway, um, you know, less than what, 20? Uh, well, I guess technically speaking, the episodes will be out on Comcast in 24 hours as of the time of this recording. So, uh, right. You know, I, I guess I guess we'll see. But uh, anyway, 
uh, you know, uh, hopefully after next week, we'll, we'll be able to come back here and say, man, I I feel dumb for having doubts that just because Lake House Fever had Tom and Star ignore the issue for an episode, that they would totally fuck the entire season's arc because of that. Um, uh, you know, I, I'd love to be able to come back and laugh at myself for panicking that much over mm. one episode going differently than I thought it would, but... I I really, you know, we're 15 episodes from the end right now, and there's still being going farther and farther into romance drama and whatnot, so it's it's a genuine worry, but I guess we'll have to see. So I guess that's all uh, for now. So following our week three discussion, I'm Endgame. And I'm slowly losing my fucking will to live. (laughs) I'm I'm quickly losing mine. Uh, We'll find out in 24 hours, but... uh, That will be all for us, and, uh, you know, peace out.